Hey, Voices of a Killer fans, Toby here to talk about an exciting podcast that you might like. If our journey into the minds behind the bars has captivated you, then you'll find Prison Pod equally gripping. It's a podcast that delves deep into the lives affected by incarceration, offering firsthand stories from those on both sides of the cell. Available on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon, Prison Pod broadens the conversation around the impacts of jail and prison. Search for Prison Pod wherever you get your podcasts to listen to the real stories of those living a life defined by bars. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Before we begin this podcast, please be advised that the following episode contains language that some listeners may find offensive and inappropriate. The opinions expressed by the host and guests are their own and do not reflect the views of the podcast producers. Listener discretion is advised. Gabby, who actually took Jonas's life? Who pulled the trigger and killed him? That man was my best friend. Do you still believe that he was an informant now? Ken just out of the blue said, well, there's a way that we handle situations like this. He was like in between both and us. Right. So you think that it was probably easy for Albert to do this because he wanted to get him out of the way of Gabriella? Yeah, I think he was in love with her. So basically zero planning, and y'all killed them that night. Yeah. So how did you sleep that night? I didn't. You are now listening to the podcast Voices of a Killer. I'm bringing you the stories from the perspective of the people that have taken the life of another human and their current situation thereafter in prison. You will see that although these are the folks that we have been programmed to hate, They all have something in common. They are all humans like us that admit that they made a mistake. Will you forgive them or will you condemn them? They are currently serving time for their murders and they give us an inside glimpse of what took place when they killed and their feelings on the matter now. Here are the voices of those who have killed. June 2014, Christopher Yonez was murdered in the Mark Twain National Forest in Missouri, a crime that implicated Gabriella Shields with two other accomplices, Albert Romero and Timothy Murray. The trio was charged after investigations revealed their belief that Yonez was informing police about their drug activities, leading them to conclude that he had to be dealt with. The case unfolded with evidence from text messages, surveillance footage, and witness statements detailing the chilling plot and execution of Yonez's murder, highlighting the brutal end to a life entangled in a web of crime and betrayal. However, there is a dark cloud over what really happened that day, 
In this two-part episode, we will interview Gabby as well as some other characters from this story to try to find out who really shot Christopher Yonez on that fateful night. We will uncover the complexities of the relationship between these people as well as speak to former law enforcement on the case to uncover the truth on this episode of Voices of a Killer. You felt like you were aggressive whenever you were younger? Not really. I was more like really docile. I was very confused about my life. I was very confused about who I was and what was going on with me. I was scared. I don't like to draw attention to myself. So back then, I didn't like attention drawn to me. I had a lot of confusing thoughts going on in my head. I didn't want to talk about it. And then when I was molested, it was, it was a big thing. I had to go through court on that. It was a scary time for me. And then it was just when it happened again, it was very confusing. No, I wasn't aggressive. Not until, like, high school whenever I started getting bullied and stuff. And then even then, I don't feel like I saw myself as aggressive. I had a lot of acceptance problems and stuff. I just didn't understand, like, why nobody loved me. My mom was an alcoholic. My dad was a raging alcoholic. I was just alone. My sister is so disconnected from everything and from life. And then I was molested. It's a lot happening. I don't feel like I saw myself as aggressive. It's more like I was sticking up for myself. Now you're sitting in prison for second-degree murder of Christopher Yonez. My question to you is, yeah. how long did you know Mr. Yonez? Like three years, maybe more. One of the reasons why I met Yonez is because, because of the things that my baby daddy was doing to me. He was taking my stuff from me, and he was just a really bad person. And the guy that I was, like, taking my drug stuff from just at that time what felt like I needed somebody to, like, protect me. So he introduced me to Yonas. I remember it was around his birthday. I think we spent his birthday together. <laughs> he was so funny. I remember we did some hot reels, and he said, if you ever wanted to cuddle, I'm that guy. And I just remember looking at him, and I had only known him a couple days at this point, and I said, That's, this is not that kind of relationship, okay? <laughs> and he was like... <laughs> Tell me. And those khaki shorts, and he's like, he was like, okay, never again. And he never made a pass at me ever again after that. We just made such a great friendship. What's something about him that you remember, like, that was special about him? <laughs> Okay, so he was a painter, and every morning he woke up to that song. I can't remember the name of it, but it was like, it goes, Well, you can tell by the way I use my walk. I'm a woman's man. <laughs> Time to talk. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. That was his fucking alarm clock. <laughs> that is funny. I mean, and he would, I remember him strutting down the hallway, dancing to it. I mean, just singing and dancing. He had his toothbrush. This going in. It was so funny. He was a lively character. I wonder things like, would he have gotten married? How many times would he have gotten married? He really wasn't fond of the idea of marriage. He just really wasn't, to my knowledge, it's not that he says to me anyways. But I always think, like, maybe he would marry a couple people in his lifetime. I feel so horrible. Like, his parents are never going to be grandparents. No weddings, no grandbabies. Graduation. Oh, God. I've had this so bottled up for so long. What did you feel whenever somebody like me contacted you and you're like, yeah, I want to, I need to talk about this? I got really paranoid. It's been a long time. I'm still paranoid. I'm going to be quite honest with you. I'm still paranoid. Gabby's story begins like many of the subjects on Voices of a Killer. Led into drugs from a young age, she was soon entangled in a web of abuse and seeking protection when she found herself in the company of Christopher Yonez, sparking a complex relationship marked by moments of friendship amidst a backdrop of turmoil. Their bond, though platonic, offered glimpses of carefree joy in an otherwise dark chapter of Gabby's life. Gabby's recount of her friendship with Yonez is poignant, highlighting the tragic loss of potential life milestones for Yonez and the deep emotional turmoil Gabby endures. Remembering him with the song Staying Alive by the Bee Gees brings a certain irony to the story, but marks Yonez as a vibrant individual with dreams and quirks and not just another individual wrapped up in drug abuse. Gabby's reflections bring a deeply human aspect to this case, 
Her struggle with guilt and the profound impact of this tragedy on both their families underscores the lasting scars left by this tragic event. With that in mind, I wanted to find out more from her about exactly what happened on that fateful night in June 2014. You started doing meth after you had your first child at 22? So, and then you said that you weren't really violent when you were a kid, but you got into some altercations growing up. Yeah. How did meth make you feel the first time you did it? I started off recreationally. So, you started off doing meth recreational, and when did it go to the next level and how? I guess it kind of started getting a little wild. Like, it started off slowly. I don't know. My husband, I think he knew that I was getting high, I think on something i tried to hide it from him but slowly but surely i started like doing it a lot i started wanting to stay out and party more and i started doing it all with my second baby daddy but he wasn't my baby daddy at this point he was just my friend he had just gotten out of prison and this is somebody that i've been friends with for a really long time at this point me and this guy have been through a lot together but looking back he never really had my best interest at hand I had did a couple bad things to him. We were okay. Maybe that's why he did what he did to me, like, took my life away from me. Do you feel like you ever noticed a change in the way you think when you started doing meth? Do you feel like you got an evil side or everything was just fine as long as you had it all under control? What did you feel? Things started, my mental thinking went awry. Like, I really lost my sanity whenever I was with him. Like, he really messed with my head bad. Like, he really took me down mentally. I started hearing audio hallucinations. I would have thoughts of suicide. Like I really shut myself into myself. That's how it started. I started drawing a lot and it was really dark, like pictures that I was drawing. There, it was never really thought of um, harming anybody else as to harming myself. It's because of the drug. So were you shooting meth There's, at the time? No. No. Whenever I moved to Springfield, I got off the needle and I stayed off the needle. So the time of your crime, you weren't shooting it up? After the crime, I started shooting up again, but no, not during the crime. So at what point in time did you meet your co-defendants, Albert Romero and Tim? I met Tim for the first time that the night of the crime. For the crime? No. How long had you known Albert? I've known him like maybe six, seven months. So... Whenever you started getting heavy into selling, was it because of Albert or was it before that? It was before Albert, it wasn't as heavy as it was after Albert. If meth did not exist, you would not be in prison right now. Would you agree? I agree. 100%, right? I, I, I completely agree. I feel if I could have slowed down my, th- my thought process and really thought about the situation that I was in and I was educated about illegal stances that I had, I feel like I would not be in this predicament. Gabby's first use of meth began shortly after the birth of her first child at 22. What started as an attempt to keep the drug use hidden from her husband quickly spiraled out of control, particularly as she grew closer to a longtime friend and future father of her second child, a man freshly out of prison who, in retrospect, may not have had her best interests at heart. This friendship and escalating drug use plunged Gabby into a dark place, mentally, filled with audio hallucinations and suicidal thoughts, yet her introspection reveals a struggle that was more about self-harm than harming others. While Gabby recounts the lead-up to the crime that resulted in her incarceration, it allows to introduce her two co-defendants in this case. The first one, Tim Murray, who we'll hear from later on in this episode, who she only met on the night of the crime, while her acquaintance with the other, Albert Romero, was relatively brief, spanning just six to seven months. Yet, it was during this period that her involvement in drug consumption and distribution intensified, suggesting a pivotal role played by her associations. Gabby's reflection on the impact of meth on her life is stark, believing unequivocally that without it, she wouldn't be behind bars. She regrets not having the clarity of mind to evaluate her circumstances more critically, hinting at a mix of personal failings and external influences that led to her downfall. Ultimately, it was this lack of clarity that led her to believe that her friend, Christopher Yonez, was an informant for the cops. 
Listen, Gabby, I'm going to go over what I understand happened, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. So, Mr. Yones gave you a nickname of Squirrel. Later on, you get pulled over by a police officer. You become a little combative, and the police officer says, don't get squirrely with me. That comment made you feel like you connected the dots. That officer said the word squirrely, therefore, Mr. Yones must be talking to the police and telling them about your drug activities, which then made you feel like you needed to take care of Mr. Yonas and have him killed. Is that not correct? No. no, that's not correct. One of the things that made me feel like that was whenever I went to the police station, the detective sailor, he works for the feds, he, him and some, I think his partner's name was Wells or something like that, pulls me in, is questioning me. I asked for a lawyer, and he's like, are you going to be one of those? And I said, yeah. And he was like... He's like, okay, friends to make it a fucking example out of me, blah, blah, blah. Does his whole spiel. And then while I'm leaving, he's like, see you later, squirrel. So that's something that made me think that. The only thing that I really got incorrect was you being pulled over and being combative. But he did say squirrel to you at some point. He did say squirrel. Moving forward in my life, when you're on the street, you want to believe that you're really slick. But at the end of the day, they really are just that smart. They know what they're doing. No. So what other things that Mr. Yonas did that made you feel like he was an informant? Besides his behavior, was there something that kind of did it in? Okay, so his erratic behavior. Okay, so the girl, Renata, you hanging out with this girl. Protecting her for a friend in, in a roundabout way basically tells me that there's just some things that I'm, I'm not going to understand. You're right, I don't. And that was the last time we talked before it happened. He would avoid me and... We went from talking every single day to nothing. Is this you know, girl actually a cop that had a badge? Multiple people on the street says that they've seen the badge. Multiple people say that she is a cop. So is it real? I don't know. Why would Jonas be hanging out with a police officer when he's so deep into drugs? At this point, your guess is just as good as mine. Is she a real cop? I don't know. I do not know. And there's females that come in here that talk about fucking, what's your life? Garver. Renata Garver. Talk about Officer Garver. Maybe that's something you should look up. So the night it happens, I go over to our mutual friend's house, Heather, and Mickey's there talking about how Jonas is acting, snitching on people, and how he is using needles and everything, and just all this other shit. And I'm just like, I know the needle thing is, is a lie. He hates needles. He cannot stand them. But so I'm like, I'm going to get down to the bottom of this and handle this situation. So I leave, and I drive around Springfield for like two hours trying to get my thoughts together. Is this real? Is, is my friend this? Is my friend that? And I can't fucking figure out my life at that point. So whenever I go to Albert, I'm telling Albert about this. Fucking weirdo Tim is sitting there. And um, I'm like, I'm telling Albert about all of this. Tim just out of the blue says, well, there's a way that we handle situations like this. That's how it come about. It all began with the nickname Squirrel. But the plot thickened dramatically when a cop used the same nickname during a routine stop. Gabby's mind went into defensive and suspicious overdrive. She was convinced that Yonez had betrayed her, giving up information on her drug dealings to the authorities. As things got more difficult, Gabby's paranoia escalated. She received cryptic messages, caught wind of rumors about Yonez cozying up with the cop, and then, on a one-off meeting with a guy named Tim, ominously suggested a dark solution for dealing with traitors. A concoction of gossip, half-truths, and Gabby's spiraling fears led her to believe that murder was the only way out of her predicament. What followed next is Gabby's account of the night in question and perhaps just leaves us trying to piece together who exactly shot Christopher Yonez. So the night that you told Albert about what your thoughts were on Mr. Yunus, that was the same night that yeah. y'all took his life? Yeah. So basically zero planning, then y'all killed him that night. Yeah. What made you think you could get away with doing this, with all the technology that I police have? There and was no, There was no thinking it through. I didn't really think it was going to happen. After some deliberation, I said, okay, so what happens next? And Tim says, well, you have to bring him to me. I'm thinking that's going to be easy because he's not answering my phone calls. So I was like, this is going to be an easy out. So I call his phone and of all nights to answer my fucking phone calls, 
picks it up and says, what's up, squirrel? And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm like, listen, I'm like, I need to talk to you. He's like, okay, well, this is where I'm at. This is where I can be. And so I get off the phone and I'm just like, I'm like, wow, he actually answered. And my Albert looks at me and he's like, Miha, are you sure? And I said, no, but okay. You drove the victim, Mr. Yunus, out to Chadwick here in Missouri. While Albert and Tim followed behind, you pulled down a secluded area in Chadwick. Albert walks up, pulls him out of the vehicle. Mr. Yones pulls a knife and there's a fight. He gets knocked to the ground and Tim runs up and shoots him. And then they told you that you needed to put a bullet in him just to make sure that you're on board with this as well. They handed you the gun and you shot him as well. And then y'all left. Is that correct? I had never in my life been to Chadwick before that night. Is there any way that maybe just like you believing that Mr. Yunus was an informant that maybe you don't remember? I really feel I don't have it in me for real to pull a trigger and take somebody's life. I didn't know that he was being stabbed. It's been told by a few people that you had this this way about you where you wanted to be powerful, a a big drug dealer. Is that accurate? I mean, wanting to be that and actually walking down the steps to be that are two different things. You know what I mean? I think I was very far from being powerful anything. Right. You may have been far from that, but is that something that you desired? No. Well, let me give you an example and you can tell me if this is not accurate, but I think if I get your discovery, you and someone else dressed up as uh, Breaking Bad and pretended to be Breaking Bad and took pictures of yourselves like that. Well, you can just tell me if that's something that you might have done. Nope. Watch TV. Who had the gun? I'm guessing Tim, because Tim shot him. Never seen the gun before or after. Gabby, who actually took Jonas's life? Who pulled the trigger and killed him? Tim did. And what did Albert do during that process? Well, listen... From what the prosecutor said, I'm trying to piece it together. But I don't want to know what the prosecutor says. You were there. I, I know, know I was you... there, but I didn't see anything. This is where it gets sticky, okay? Whenever Albert pulled him out of the car, it sounded like they were just scuffling around. I only heard sounds, which makes me think the headlights were off. So there was some scuffling of the gravel, and I heard hit, I heard Jonas making some sound, like he was getting hit or something. Somebody here, I don't know, I... It's not facts, I'm not going to say it. Uh, but he said, or he didn't say anything, but it, it, he was making just some sounds like he was getting hit or something. You know what I mean? But whenever I came around the car door and got in front of the car a little bit, Tim was shooting off around. I don't know how he saw him, which is why I think the headlights were on. So I didn't really see anything. What happened to you, I, I didn't see nothing. And I went back into the car, and I started to back away and it's Albert I don't remember turning on my headlights which makes me think the headlights were on but because I didn't see anything I feel like they were off for eight long years it's been driving me crazy so I heard the last gunshot and I thought he killed Albert so I stopped there was a knock on the window and I thought it was him to kill me and I look over and it's Albert so I didn't see anything I didn't even know he had been stabbed until the prosecutor told me and that's what she thought I was lying about because yeah I was there but I didn't even know he was stabbed. Albert had written me this text message of getting the knife. I went to write him a message back, and it was an, on auto send. I don't remember what I was going to say, but it said something about small tribe. And I don't even remember seeing the knife. I don't even remember seeing the knife. So the only thing that I can piece together is whenever he pulled him out of the car, he grabbed the knife. Is that a fact? I don't know. I can't say that's a fact because I didn't see it. But that's the only thing that I can piece together. But in my mind, whenever you stab somebody, wouldn't they like, what does that sound like to you? Have you ever heard somebody get stabbed? Because I haven't. Somebody here says it sounds like a, a little grunt, but in my mind, it sounds like somebody screams and somebody described it to me and it sounded exactly the way Jonas was telling So maybe that's whenever he was getting stabbed. With no plan in place, Gabby and her accomplices, including Albert, decided on a course of action that would irreversibly change their lives. Gabby's recounting of the events is chilling matter-of-fact, a spontaneous decision that led to a lethal confrontation in a secluded area of Chadwick, Missouri. 
As Albert and Tim followed her to a designated spot, what ensued was a violent struggle that culminated in Yonez's being shot. According to one of our sources, Gabby was coerced into firing a shot as well, but she strongly denies any involvement. Rather, Gabby suggests that it was Tim that fired that fatal blow. Luckily for us, I was able to get a hold of Tim to get his side of the story. Gabby's story shows just how chaotic and blurred her memory and perception of that night was. As we prepare to hear Tim's side of the story, it's clear that the truth is as fragmented and elusive as the memories of those involved. After the break, Tim tells his side of the story. I've got Tim here who is actually a part of Christopher Yonez's murder, which there's two other co-defendants, Albert Romero and Gabriella Shields. To my understanding, you had never even met Gabriella until the night of the murder, correct, Tim? Correct. You grew up in South Missouri, right? Right. What would you say your upbringing is, was like? Was it normal? Did you, did you feel like you had a rough upbringing? Yeah, it was good. It was good? Did you finish high school? No, actually, I got my GED here in prison. So when did you first get into to doing drugs, like hard drugs? I really don't remember. Do you feel like it was before you were an 18-year-old man or after? Yeah, before that. You had done meth before you turned 18? Yeah. So you'd never been to prison before, right? Yeah, I ain't never been. Had you ever been in trouble with the law? Nope. Did you know Albert Romero before that night? Yeah. Did you owe Albert Romero some money? No, I didn't. It's my understanding that he said, hey, we need help taking care of someone, and that you owed him money, and that he would basically wash that, that, that debt clean if you helped him. Is that not what happened? No, I didn't know. So what made you agree to kill someone? Well, I didn't even know what was going on until it happened. Yeah. So you got in the car with Albert, and y'all followed the victim, Christopher Yonez and Gabriella. Did you ride in front of them, or did you follow them out there to Chadwick? They followed us. And you were in the car with Albert, right? Yeah. Were you driving, or was Albert driving? I was driving. And on that car ride to Chadwick, do you remember the discussions you guys had? Did you know what was going on yet? No, I didn't know what was going on until we got there. At what point did you figure out what was going on, or did you just see it all unfold in front of you and then said, oh, this is what we're doing? I mean, take me back to that night. Things half right in front of me. I didn't know what to do. You pulled up, and, and did Albert get out of the car? Did you stay in the car? What happened? I stayed in Okay. So did Albert go over to the passenger side and pull out Christopher Yonez out of the car and started fighting with him? I don't know because I didn't see it. But uh, that's what they said. Okay. So who pulled the trigger and shot Mr. Yonez? Uh, I didn't. But, you know, it was all kind of a flash. And before it was all over, it was over. Uh, so you just heard the gunshots? You didn't actually see anything? No, I seen the flashes. And then by the time I, I turned around and got out, he was getting in the truck. And he was telling me to go. So have you heard any stories to where they said you were the one that pulled the trigger? Yeah, did Gabriella, did she ever get out of the vehicle whenever you pulled up? I don't think so. So basically, Albert did all this on his own. He pulled Christopher Yonez out. They get into a physical altercation. Albert actually shot him, and that was everything that happened? Yeah, but I think they had something else going on before all that. They have gotten into it a few times. Like what? I don't know. I think they were just beefing because him and Gabriella used to date. And then they got together and they would break up and she'd always go back to that guy. Go go back to who? Chris or, or Mr. Yonez or Albert? Yeah. I don't know. She was like in between both them guys. Right. So you think that it was probably easy for Albert to do this because he wanted to get him out of the way of Gabriella? Yeah, I think he was in love with her. Yeah. So why would they bring you along if you're not going to participate? I don't understand that. Uh, I was just a ride. So after they killed Mr. Yonez, did you not worry about them like, oh, we got to take care of Tim now in case he says anything? Did that not worry you a little bit? Oh, well, hell yeah, I did. Do you feel like Albert's a dangerous person? Well, I didn't think he was until then. It's kind of hard to say. Let me ask you this. I mean, I know you didn't know Gabrielle until that night, but had you heard anything about her before you met her? No, not really. Okay. You never heard like whether she was a dangerous person or somebody that you needed to watch your back over or you just didn't know anything? I knew uh, she was dating some guy named Kenny. Here's one of the storylines that I heard. And I want you to tell me if it could be true or not true. But it's my understanding that after Mr. Yones was killed, somebody actually handed the gun 
to Gabriella and said, we need to make sure you're on board with this and you need to put a bullet in Mr. Yonez. Did that happen or? I, I don't think that happened. Everything was happening so fast. I, I don't think any of that is right because I wasn't really back over there. I don't even think she got out of the car, honestly. What was the conversation like with Albert after y'all drove away and he just killed the person? It was pretty quiet. I had a lot going on in my mind. Did that freak you out? Yeah. Did you I'm think I figure out how to get the hell away from these people as fast as I can? Listening to Tim speak makes us compare his tale to that of Gabby's. Gabby's side of the story feels chaotic, like she was caught up in a whirlwind she couldn't control. She talks about how things just spiraled out of nowhere, making her a reluctant participant in a crime she never planned. On the flip side, Tim's account is all about being the odd man out, claiming he was just along for the ride and pretty much in the dark until everything went down. He paints himself as more of a bystander, someone who didn't really get why he was there in the first place. He even suggests that he just heard gunshots, implying that Albert may have been the one to shoot Yonez. But what spices up Tim's tale is his take on the drama between Gabby, Yonez, and Albert. According to him, there was a love triangle that might have stirred the pot, suggesting that jealousy could have been the real reason behind the murder. Tim hints that Albert might have seen Yonez as a rival for Gabby's heart, adding a layer of personal vendetta to the crime. Was Christopher Yonez the victim of jealousy? As we dig through their stories, it's like trying to solve a puzzle with half the pieces missing, leaving us piecing together clues from their casual yet conflicting recounts of that fateful night. And with this information, I had to go back to Gabby and ask her what she thought. He literally says, just like you cooperated, you were surprised. I don't think you think it, thought it was somebody was actually going to die that night. But Toby, he doesn't admit to anything that he did. You talking about Tim? Yeah. So... Did he not get out of the car? Yes, he got out of his truck. He shot him. Tim did, not Albert? Wow. Are I you mean, are you 100% sure that that Tim shot him? There can't be like I th I think that's how it went down. It's I mean, you can say that, but we need to say it like you either know for sure, you you think it probably okay, like okay. that or No, I can't. Can you say 100% sure that he got out of his vehicle? Yeah. Why I can't? Why can't you? Cuz you don't remember? Not because I don't remember because I didn't really see why did when you I just say that? Around, There's a reason you're saying that Tim got out of the vehicle. Because I'm pretty sure it was Tim. Like, whenever I come around my vehicle and I got to the front of my vehicle, the gunshots were going off. So now you're out of the vehicle? Yeah, I was out of the vehicle. So Tim thinks That's you didn't get out of the vehicle. Like, I got out of the vehicle. Why'd you get out of the vehicle? Reality hit me. I'm maybe to stop it. Whenever I ever pulled him out of the vehicle, I was like, I, oh, oh, oh my God. When I get out of the vehicle, everything falls on my lap. I bend down to get it, and I, I'm like, I've stopped this, and I leave everything there. I come around the driver's side door, and I, and the gunshots start going off. I'm only assuming that maybe it wasn't him. I guess this whole time I was assuming it was him, but I can't say that it, I've seen him because I didn't. I didn't see anybody do anything. I really wish that you guys could remember what exactly happened it's it sucks that y'all got these fucking weird ass stories it really makes me aggravated because i feel like now that i'm getting more than just your story which y'all still don't fucking know how do you not right. remember a night like that gabby i toby i keep telling you my headlight i didn't see his body i didn't even know he was stabbed until the prosecutor told me yeah but i'm just talking you about know, like if one person saying you didn't get out of the vehicle you're saying you did he's saying he never got out I but got you're saying he did this is ridiculous vehicle. I'm pretty sure he got out of the vehicle and he was standing right there. I thought I was 100% sure. Now I'm, I want to test myself. So you're saying that there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Albert and Tim were pulled in front of you when you pulled up with the victim, Mr. Yones, and you don't remember yeah. if Tim got out of the vehicle or not. Albert pulled him out of the vehicle. So Albert's in the passenger side of the vehicle in front of you parked, right? Yes. He's Albert in the passenger truck. walks over to the passenger side by Mr. Yones, the victim, and tell me, yes. does he open up the door? Does he talk to him through the window? Does he punch him? What happens? He opens up the door. And, and at this point, does out. Mr. Yones know there's something bad going on? If there wasn't enough time to ask questions or discuss anything, didn't ask. Any questions? Albert pulls him, opens the door, and grabs him, physically pulls him out of the vehicle? Yes. And then what happens? Do they start fist fighting? I don't know. I just remember... Were they cussing at each other, like, I'm going to get you, or what the fuck are you doing? And it made me think that they were fist fighting, because it sounded like Jonas was getting hit. And then I was like, oh my God, this is actually happening. So I jumped out of the vehicle. Everything that was in my lap fell out on the ground. And out of reflex, I went to bend down to grab it all. And I was like, no, and I come around my driver's side door. And then it, by the time I get around the door, the gunshots the gunshot start going off. Did you who was holding the gun? Did you see Tim standing there this whole time? No. So you just saw Mr. Yones and Albert. So Albert must have been the one that I shot. Okay, so I, tell me the next step. What happened? And I don't even know at what point my headlights come back on. But I am, am, I'm all the way turned around, and I hear another gunshot, and I'm like, oh, my God, he killed Albert. And I'm, I'm frozen, and I'm stopped when I'm frozen. There's a knock on my window, it's Albert. And he gets in the passenger side of my vehicle. He says, we're going to follow Tim to his house. Did you say, what the fuck just happened? I was, like, silent. I was in shock, I think. I looked at him, and I said, Albert, I think we need to talk about this. He goes, no, we don't ever talk about this. I said, no, I think we need to talk about this. He goes, we don't ever talk about this. And I said, Albert. And he goes, no, we don't ever talk about this. And I said, so wait a sec. You showed up with Christopher Yonez, but you left by yourself following them? I left with Albert in my vehicle following Tim. So how did you sleep that night? I didn't. How long was it till you had your first police encounter? day after. And who was this? Well, was it a no. uniformed police officer or detective? It was detective and comment task force. They were on y'all that quick? Yeah. Well, okay, so the pack of cigarette I had Jonas buy a pack of cigarettes, and I guess he still had them on him. Whenever he got out of the vehicle, they were still in his pocket, fell out of his pocket or something like that. I'm, I'm not sure. But they were by his body or around his body at the crime scene. And then my flashlight that was on my lap fell out on the ground. That flashlight that you had on your lap when you said you got out, you'd left it at the crime scene? Yeah, that flashlight and the pack of cigarettes. Right, so the flashlight, did you realize that after you'd left? Like, oh, I left my flashlight. Yeah, actually, when we got to his house, I realized that the flashlight was gone. So I said, Albert was like, hey man, that flashlight is gone. So now you've just left a paper trail for the cops to read about the flashlight. They don't even need your yeah. DNA. So did you ever think during the process, like, every text I send is going to be scrutinized? Listen, on the way there, like, Albert was barking orders at me. He was, like, telling me that this isn't a game and, like, all kinds of stuff that was so incriminating. Like, it's a knife from him. Well, Sir, you do this. All in text? Oh, yeah. When we were in county. Like, in Christian County... The female pod is right next to the men's pod. So whenever he got there from the feds, he wrote me this note, and he likes to dedicate songs to 
his adults and everything, and he dedicated me this Chainsmokers song, and it was when we go down together, and I was like, oh my God, and this is something that I thought about all these years. You know what I mean? There's all these things that could have been prevented. So Gabby stuck to her version of how that crazy night went down, and it's like her story's playing a game of ping pong with Tim's. She's pretty convinced Tim was the one who pulled the trigger, but when you press her for the cold, hard facts, she's not all in. It's like she thinks she saw Tim hop out of his truck and take the shot, but then again, she's not betting her life on it. Confusion's the main vibe here, with Gabby admitting she didn't catch the whole showdown because, well, she wasn't exactly front and center for the action and the headlights on the car were off at the time of the incident. Then there's Tim's tale, right? He's painting a picture like he's just along for the ride, chilling in the car while the drama unfolds outside. According to him, he's practically invisible, a ghost in the night's events. But Gabby's sure she got out of her car, driven by a mix of shock and maybe a dash of heroism, thinking she could put a stop to the madness. Only, by the time she's on the scene, gunshots are ringing out, and she's not even sure who's holding the gun anymore. After the murder, Gabby's life turns into something out of a crime thriller. She dropped clues left and right without even knowing it. A flashlight here, a pack of cigarettes there, and bam, she's left the breadcrumb trail straight to her. Then there's the texting fiasco with Albert, like they're trying to win a prize on who can leave the most evidence behind. And the kicker? Albert dedicates a chain smoker's song to Gabby while they're both in the clink, making their situation sound like some twisted love story gone wrong. Now, we gotta circle back to Tim, because something's not adding up. Gabby's stories have holes you could drive a truck through, and Tim's sitting pretty like he's just a bystander, and I want to find out what happened after Christopher Yonez tragically lost his life that night. So where did y'all go after the murder? Uh, down the road to the house. And what was the conversation like when y'all got to the house? It was not really much about talking about anything that happened. Did Gabriella seem freaked out or okay with what happened, or, or was she surprised too? Because... Do you feel like her demeanor was like, okay, we got that taken care of, good job, or was she like, wow, I can't believe that just happened? I think she was very disturbed by it. Really? You know what I mean? Like, they might have talked to her, but I don't think she took it serious. So you think she I don't was, think she knew what was You think that she was pretty shocked, like she didn't think somebody was actually going to get killed? Yeah, I think she was. And that's kind of what she told me. But here's the thing, Tim. A lot of people think Abby's not a good person and she wanted to be this big boss and she has like a, a very mean streak. But she told me that she didn't think it was going to happen. And you're telling me that she didn't feel like it was going to happen. I'm, I'm believing that she might not have thought it was going to happen. And, and just like you, I think it almost seems like it was just Albert wanting to get somebody out of the way that to the, to the girl that he liked. Do you think that's accurate? Well... What it was is that was her ex-boyfriend or whatever, and he was jealous of him. I heard another story that he owed Albert some money, and then another story that Albert was getting drugs from him, so I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Did you see his uh, dead body or uh, after he was shot, or did y'all leave and you get you didn't get a look at it? Yeah, it was, it was nighttime. I didn't see nothing. I didn't see nobody or nothing. I never even know that guy, Chris, or whatever. I, I never met him or anything. Right. Did you ever think about, man, I need to I need to save myself from going to prison. I need to get a hold of the police or something like that. Did that ever cross your mind? Yeah, but what am I supposed to do? These people come after me. It was a second-degree murder you were found guilty of? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that Gabby deserves life plus 40 years for that? No. Yeah, she's going to die in prison. Yeah, that's a bad deal. How old are you, Tim? 36. It sounds like you'll have a life once you get out. You've got eight down. You probably got maybe six more, I'd say, until you're up for parole. Is that pretty accurate? Pretty close. I really appreciate you calling me. Okay. All right. Hey, man. No problem. Yep. Lay low in there and good talking to you. Okay. All right. See you, man. After everything went down, the scene at the house they all headed to was pretty quiet, almost like nobody wanted to dive into what just happened. Tim tells us Gabby was really shook up, which kind of flips the script on anyone thinking she was all tough and in control of the situation. It sounds like she didn't even see the murder coming, like it hit her out of left field, showing a side of Gabby that didn't match up with the hardcore image some people had of her. 
Tim hints that the real drama behind the murder might have been more about messed up love stuff and jealousy than any big crime plans. He talks about Albert maybe being jealous of Gabby's ex, throwing in some side stories about money and drugs that could have stirred the pot. When Tim looks back at what happened in his own time in jail, he doesn't think Gabby should be locked up for life plus 40, especially when he's looking at getting out someday. This whole conversation with Tim gives us a different angle on the night, making the whole thing seem like more of a bad decision going way wrong rather than some big criminal mastermind. After the break, we hear Gabby's reaction to Tim's words. So why would Tim think that you were freaked out? What was your demeanor like? Were you saying to Albert things like, why did you do that? Or were you super quiet and scared looking? I didn't speak. The whole time we were there at that lady's house, I didn't speak. I had texted Albert a few things. He, he had a calm demeanor. But when I tell you, he's got a weird, scary demeanor. Like, everything about him is scary. He was just so calm, cool, and collected when Albert was just over. Who was you know? calm, cool, and collected? Then what? So you don't think he was freaked out? Because he's saying that you were freaked out, but now you're saying that he was just calm and cool? He was very calm, cool, and collected. He, his demeanor didn't change at all. From the time I came into the duplex and was talking to him in Albert until after was sitting in that trailer with him after it happened, the demeanor did not change at all. No facial expressions, no pitch in his voice, no, nothing changed. So after this night, you and Albert are together. Did you ever bring up the discussion of what happened that night with Albert? I tried. Why? I what tried did you bring it up that night, and then I tried to bring it up the next day because we had gotten lost leaving, and I tried to talk to him about it, and he just kept telling me, we don't talk about it. And I said, I think that we need to speak about it because we're going to need to account for where we've been at, what we've been doing. We need to talk about it. He was like, no, we don't speak of it. And I said, no, we need to. Gabby seems pretty taken aback by Tim's description of her demeanor that night. She insists that she was silent throughout the whole ordeal and didn't display any signs of being freaked out. In fact, she describes Albert as the one with the strange and intimidating demeanor. According to her, he remained eerily calm, which doesn't quite match up with Tim's account of her being disturbed. Gabby's attempts to bring up the discussion about what happened that night with Albert were met with resistance. She tried to emphasize the importance of talking about it, especially considering the need to account for their actions and whereabouts. However, Albert was firm in his stance of not discussing it, leaving Gabby frustrated and with unanswered questions. Nevertheless, Gabby eventually ended up in prison where she is contacting us from today. So what transpired next? How did the police catch up with her and her two co-defendants? So the first encounter that you had with uh, the detectives, did they cuff y'all or did they just come over and question you? Well, the homicide people, um, Detective Wells, and uh, I think Jackson was his name, and Brent Leslie, uh, was searching the house to try to say that I gave him permission to search through my stuff. I never did. Try to say that he found some drugs inside of my stuff, but, you know, there was drugs there. They tried to say that I... So now I get hit with this distribution case. They say that they find these drugs on top of Albert's dresser, right along with some paraphernalia. Boom, he gets hit with a Class C possession, which is crazy to me. He gets hit with possession, and I get hit with distribution. So we both get arrested for these charges. Not for the homicides, but for the drug charge. I get bailed out of jail, and then I try to bail him out, and that's whenever they told me, if you want him out, then you have to turn yourself in. Interesting. So the next day, they were already there. Yeah. You have me at the scene of the crime in photos with him, admitting he was with me that night, and all of this other stuff. I don't understand how it took a year and a half for them to, to close you know, the case today. From my understanding, what they did was all the way out in the country to where you were, they just linked up to the very first gas station camera. And from there, another camera. They traced you all the way back at Sunshine and Glenstone in Springfield from camera yeah. shots all the way the whole ride there to where you killed this yeah. guy. Uh, there is this school that we passed that had just got these brand new security footage systems. They had us 
The gas station that you stopped at, they were actually able to see into the vehicle because y'all pulled up to get cigarettes. Yeah, that's all in my motion. So all those pictures are in my motion discovery. What happened to the gun? I don't know. I'll I never saw the gun before, during, or after. Truth, I don't like guns. I'm scared of guns. The first time I ever played with a gun, whenever I was a teenager, I almost shot my own knee off, kneecap off, and it scared the fuck out of me. So I don't really like guns. Tell me about what it was like going on the run. It was very scary. For the first few days, I was still in Springfield. I tried to kill myself on a half gram of heroin. I don't do heroin at all. So I tried to take the easy route. And I had decided I was going to do that. Whenever Detective Nash had first given me the option to turn myself in, I said I tried to buy myself time. And I mean... I went and talked to a lawyer, and he said he wanted $75,000, and I knew I couldn't come up with that, not in the time that I needed. So I decided that this was my plan B. What prompted you to go on the run? I didn't know if I was strong enough to come to prison for the rest of my life. No, I mean, how did you know they were after you? Well, my boyfriend at the time had text messaged me and told me that the highway patrol was looking for me, and I was in his car. And... He told me that they were there looking for me, that I had a warrant out for my arrest for murder. So I parked his car and got into the back seat of some random guy's car. I didn't even know this guy, had no idea where it was. And mind you, I had just <laughs> did this half gram of heroin, right? And I'm not sure if it was why I don't, I don't know nothing about heroin and I don't know how I did that. I really don't. It made me really sick and I was in and out for days. I was in the back seat of this guy's car for three days. He just dumped me around. So many bad things could happen to me. But he didn't. He took care of me. He kept me moving around and stuff like that. I think he knew what I was on, but I didn't know what I looked like. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what was happening. I just knew I was fucked off. But whenever I was finally starting to come around, like, I remember hearing this knock on the door. something about the cops and something like that. And I, I grabbed the phone and my stuff, and I ran out the back door. And I'm in this bright orange... You know the hunting vests or the the orange hunting sweaters that you wear to deer let hunt. the other hunters know that it's not a deer? Yeah, yeah. I'm on the north side of town, and that's what I'm wearing. And I'm running. I call up my boyfriend, and he was like, oh, my God, you're alive. And I was like, I'm alive, and I don't know where I'm at. And he was like, it's the nearest street sign. And I was like, okay, so I'm at, where was it? <sighs> Crap, I can't remember it. He was right down the street from me. And my, this whole, I really feel like it's a God thing. Like, me not dying, him being right down the street. Like, the guy that I got in the car with, all of that, I was really saved. I, I mean, God was just really there with me. There's no other way that I can explain that. So, I get in the car, and he was like, oh, my God, he looks like shit. And I was like, can you just drive, please? And he was like, where have you been? And I was like, dead, dude. And he was like, that's what I thought. And I was like, can you just, please? we just not talk right now? And we drove to this lake house. It was his parents' lake house. And we stayed the weekend there. And we had planned to go to North Carolina. And we didn't quite make it that far. We made Tennessee. And we didn't really have a an idea of where to go. Like, we didn't really know what we were doing. I scared. I knew I was going to be caught at some point. Did you think about going to Mexico? How is I going to get across the border? To be honest, I'm scared of the Mexican presence. So, no. I'm going to take my chances in the United States of America. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Gabby's journey after the incident took a harrowing turn as she found herself on the run from the law. Initially, she contemplated ending her life but decided to flee instead. Her boyfriend informed her that the highway patrol was looking for her and she had a warrant for arrest for murder. This triggered her escape plan. While on the run, she endured a turbulent few days. Under the influence of heroin, she ended up in the back seat of a stranger's car, completely disoriented. The man who found her showed her unexpected kindness, helping her navigate the situation and keeping her safe. But eventually, the long arm of the law caught up with Gabby. Nevertheless, before our story continues in part two of this episode, I needed to find out more about the intricate love triangle between Gabby, Albert, and Yonez. It was clear that Yonez held a special place in Gabby's life, but did Albert's jealousy cause the murder, or was it Gabby's suspicion of Yonez as an informant, an idea bought into by Tim and eventually pushed over the edge on that fateful night? What did Christopher mean to Gabby 
and how did his presence impact the events that unfolded that fateful night? Do you think that your co-defendant Albert Romero and the victim, Mr. Yones, didn't like each other because they both liked you? Yones used to tell me that Albert was going to get me in a lot of trouble. Albert was very reckless with everything that he did. Jonas was a protector. He was really just protecting me in a lot of instances. I'm very hard-headed. That's where our relate our friendship really went rocky. I was getting mad at the fact that, hey, you're out doing everything that you want to do, but now that I'm doing something that I want to do, now you're getting irritated with me. Now you're coming at me crazy, but... Looking at it now, I don't feel like that's what he was doing at all. He was just really trying to protect me. Being in that life, you don't see the whole, the big picture. You just see, you know, the itty-bitty pieces to the thousand-piece puzzle, and you don't want to, you don't see past any of that. Does that make sense? Sure. Now, Albert's problem with Jonas, I mean, unless something happened prior... I think that his only problem with me was because of me. There was one time that I went to the storage unit and I was talking to the Jonas and pushed up on me. I had my phone in my back pocket and you know how people like um, jailbreak their phones or whatever, put new put new palms on it or whatever. And um, put new so what? my phone was a little spinning. Um, for a Samsung, you could put a different firmware on it. And it does different things. You know what I mean? It's got, like, different designs on it. I don't know if you're into technology, but my phone had a different firmware on it, and it was acting finicky. It was pocket dialing people all the time. And I had my phone in my back pocket, and I had, and Jonas had, like, I was sitting down. He had, like, this futon inside of the storage unit. I sat down, futon, and he was sitting beside me, and... My phone, I guess whenever I pulled that pocket out, Albert, I didn't know this until much later, but I guess he heard the conversation that we had, and Jonas is just like, he's no good for you, like, she's on you, he does all this other stuff and everything, and it's just, basically, he was just being a friend. Albert had a problem with that. So you think it was probably easy for Albert to kill Mr. Jonas because of the situation between Y'all three? I mean, I can't say that. I don't know. I can't really tell you Albert's full motive. I was a big part of it, yeah. You put everything together. You're the reason that this guy was murdered. And without you, it wouldn't have happened. Well, just like you said, without those two, it wouldn't have happened. I believe that as well. So it's my understanding, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you thought that Mr. Jonas was an informant. He was talking to the police. Is that correct? I did feel that way, yeah. Do you still believe that he was an informant now? I did not go to these two people and say, hey, this guy's an informant, let's murder him. But but what I'm saying is the reason Mr. Jonas was killed is because your impression was that he was an informant, he was talking to the police, and now, years later, you understand you were wrong. So this guy was killed for nothing. Is that correct? Were you aware that he was infatuated with you? He wasn't. Okay. Did you know that when they went through his storage unit that he actually lived in, they found lots of love letters and things that he wrote about you? No, he didn't. Would you like me to prove that to you? He was in love with a girl named Linda Woods. Are you saying that my information is inaccurate? I feel like I would have known that. Well, I mean, you don't have to know that somebody's writing things down about you. I was always in the storage unit with him. I've never seen him. They found... Stuff that he wrote about you and like love letters and things like that. This is coming straight from the detective. And you have proof. I mean, I can get it. Because he never, he acted. Well, that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. So, other girls. Right. But maybe he felt like he couldn't get you. I mean, to say that, well, he didn't act that way. So that didn't happen. That's not a good argument. So that's the truth. After he passed away in his storage unit. There were love letters and things that he wrote about you. He liked you. Maybe it was a slight infatuation. I don't know. But these are the things that they found. And my question to you is, how does that make you feel knowing that you were a part of taking someone's life that had a genuine love for you? I told you the questions were going to be rough. Gabby, are you okay? Gabby. Give me a minute. Okay. I just need a minute. 
Not very good. <laughs> it just shows that you, I mean, you got a heart, Gabby, obviously. I just think you were really fucked up on meth. I mean, that's my opinion. Like other people might say, no, she just naturally liked that. I disagree because if meth wasn't a factor, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I just feel like the friendship that Jonas and I had. You, you felt like he was a friend? That man was my best friend. and that's <laughs> He loved you, Gabby. I don't think he would have ever thought that you would be responsible for taking his life. Do you think he forgives you? Will you please call me tomorrow? Gabby, it's going to get better for you, okay? I'll call you tomorrow. All right. Take take care of yourself. Call me tomorrow, okay? Okay, bye. As I hung up that call, I couldn't help but feel empathy for Gabby. Christopher Yonez was very dear to her heart, and the loss of his life has impacted her greatly. As we finish up this episode, it's clear that the story is far from over. The events that have unfolded so far have left us with more questions than answers. We've heard Gabby's perspective, learned about her time on the run, and delved into the complexities of her relationship with Albert and Yonez. In part two, we will dive deeper into the investigations, the legal proceedings, and the pursuit of justice. We'll hear the other key players in this narrative, each with their own version of events. Join us on the next episode of Voices of a Killer, where we'll discover the truth behind the tragic death of Christopher Yonez as told through the eyes of Gabby Shields. On the next episode of Voices of a Killer. He's been involved in gang activity probably most of his life. He's that G-thug mentality. But she was afraid. Albert started a physical altercation. They probably fought over that knife. This is my first time telling anybody my story. So nobody has ever heard my side of the story. Where you're at now is where you're going to spend the rest of your life. Obviously, that has to go through your mind. Like, is this it? What do you think is fair for you, Gabby? I just wanted to be loved. I think a lot of people took advantage of that. That's a wrap on this episode of Voices of a Killer. I want to thank Gabby and Tim for sharing their stories with us today. Their ability to be open and honest is what makes this podcast so special. If you would like to listen to part two of this episode, it is available right now on Patreon. You can visit patreon.com slash voices of a killer and hear how this story plays out. If you want to listen to these episodes weeks in advance, you can now do so by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash voices of a killer. There you will get access to raw interviews, unseen news coverage, and unique correspondence with the guests of Voices of a Killer. Head over to patreon.com slash voices of a killer to support the podcast. Your support is what keeps us passionate about bringing these stories to you. A big shout out to Sonic Futures, who handled the production, audio editing, music licensing, and promotion of this podcast. If you want to hear more episodes like this one, make sure to visit our website at voicesofakiller.com. There you can find previous episodes, transcripts, and additional information about the podcast. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your feedback helps us improve and reach new listeners. Thank you for your support, and we can't wait to share more stories with you in the future. Thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Toby, and we'll see you next time on Voices of a Killer. Hey listeners, Toby here. We have a special announcement just for you. Voices of a Killer is launching its very own Patreon page, an exclusive platform that allows you to dive even deeper into the darkest corners of these gripping tales. By becoming a patron, you'll gain access to a wealth of exciting bonus content and behind the scenes exclusives that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Picture this, at our lowest tier, you can have access to further content with exclusive letters, photos, and correspondence that have never been seen by the public before. At our producer tier, you will have the opportunity to engage with the team, participate in Q&A polls, and receive updates on upcoming episodes and developments. This tier is perfect for those who have a keen interest in the production process and want to be a part of shaping the show's future. 
you'll also have your name read at the end of our latest episodes. How cool. At the next tier, you'll have all this and the opportunity to join in our once-in-a-month video chat Q&A session with me, the host, and our production team, allowing you to engage directly with the creators and further satisfy your curiosity. And for our premium tier, you'll have all this and the ability to listen to exclusive unedited raw interviews to really hear the true voices of our podcast. So if you're ready to unlock a world of extra content, head over to patreon.com slash voices of a killer now and choose the tier that best suits your craving for true crime. Your support will not only fuel our passion for storytelling, but also enable us to bring you even more thrilling narratives and the voices that are waiting to be heard on Voices of a Killer.